Welcome to Brainwaves, an audio podcast for continuing medical education in neurology. Today we'll be talking about neurologic deterioration after stroke. We will be using clinical cases to demonstrate the different mechanisms involved in neurologic deterioration and the management. Case number one. A 60-year-old gentleman with atrial fibrillation and diabetes presented to the ED with acute onset, right-sided hemiparesis, and expressive aphasia. Head CT did not show any evidence of early infarct signs or intracranial hemorrhage. Having not been on oral anticoagulant, he received IV TPA at four hours after symptom onset without any noticeable improvement in his symptoms and was treated on the post-fibrinolytic pathway. Later that evening, his right upper and lower extremity strength declined from three out of five to one out of five. His blood sugar was 125 milligrams per deciliter heart rate 74 in irregular, and blood pressure was 159 over 72. This is a pretty typical case of neurologic deterioration after TPA in a patient who has a suspected stroke. Post-thrombolytic hemorrhage is one of the most concerning complications, and you see this in about 5% of patients who receive IV TPA. The likelihood of having a post-thrombolytic hemorrhage in a patient who does not actually have an infarct is less than half a percent according to large pooled data. Of the patients who do have a true stroke and the 5% risk of subsequent intraparenchymal hemorrhage, uh, that risk increases dramatically with increasing age, longer time from symptom onset to TPA administration, more severe strokes, and larger infarct size. Our patient was treated at about four hours after symptom onset, and he had a pretty dense hemiparesis with cortical signs suggesting a large lobar stroke despite his normal head CT, so he would be at a higher risk. Another consideration for patients who have large stroke is progressive infarct, and this probably accounts for 20% of all causes of deterioration. Compromise of the ischemic penumbra can become irreversible uh, with persistent failure of recanalization and poor collateral vessels. Progressive stroke nearly always occurs within the first 48 hours, so after 48 hours, if you find new neurologic deficits, you should be considering new stroke. It's probably too early for peri-infarct edema to explain his symptoms, but the larger strokes, usually from a cardioembolic source, can produce pretty significant malignant cerebral edema early on. The problem with MCA strokes and edema is the midline shift and uncle herniation. Because of my concern at this point for hemorrhage and edema formation, I'd repeat the head CT before doing anything else. Repeat head CT demonstrated mild hypoattenuation of the left frontal and parietal lobes with sulcal effacement but no obvious midline shift. This was consistent with progressive infarction, but it could not exclude edema from contributing to the symptomatic progression. This head CT shows new hypoattenuation in the left frontal and parietal lobes, which likely reflect infarcted tissue and a poor response to TPA. There's failure of recanalization, and without the more definitive therapy like thrombectomy, it's not likely that this tissue is salvageable. There's not enough edema to consider this patient for a decompressive hemicraniectomy at this point. Otherwise, he could be a good candidate, you know, someone who's less than 65 years of age, good premorbid functional status, and no major comorbidities. Decompression is considered life-saving in these patients, but functional recovery is unlikely. Multimodality monitoring is performed at some institutions, and this includes placement of uh, intracerebral pressure monitors like implantable bolts, microdialysis catheters where you can check for lactate, glutamate, PBTO2 levels that correlate with ischemia, and other ICP monitors, but this is not a standard of care in stroke patients. Medical management is all we're left with. As far as other pharmacologic and intensive care rescue therapies, unlike in other cases of cerebral edema, the vasogenic edema in stroke does not respond well to hyperventilation or corticosteroids. 
Hyperventilation may produce a cerebral vasoconstriction, which can exacerbate ischemia, or it can produce a rebound vasodilation with intracranial hypertension following restoration of normal capnia. Corticosteroids, according to a Cochrane review, also have no morbidity or mortality benefit after stroke, so it should not be considered. Case number two. An 83-year-old woman with hypertension and coronary artery disease on aspirin and clopidogrel presented with acute severe occipital headache and imbalance to the ED. There was no antecedent trauma. Head CT confirmed a right occipital parietal hemorrhage, approximately 22 cc's in volume, without intraventricular extension. Two days into her hospitalization, she is more somnolent and inattentive. Her blood sugar is 192, pulse 65, blood pressure 110 over 81, and she has a temperature of 99.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Because of the timing of this patient's worsening, I wouldn't think that she has a hemorrhage expansion, uh, and unless she has any new focal findings, I wouldn't start with a head CT. Although she was on two antiplatelet agents, which increases her risk of hemorrhagic expansion, nearly all causes of progressive hemorrhage occur within 24 hours. She also has a relatively small hemorrhage that's supratentorial, and it's not likely to expand enough to cause herniation. I would start with basic labs, a urinalysis, and a chest x-ray. Her creatinine is 1.2 from a baseline of 1.1, with a BUN of 29. Liver function is normal. Urinalysis has moderate white blood cells with leukocyte esterase and some bacteria. Chest x-ray notes some right basilar atelectasis. This is great timing for a healthcare-associated UTI, but her creatinine clearance for an 83-year-old isn't that best. Uh, urinary tract infections are common in the elderly, and the risk of UTIs increase in stroke patients, where one in five stroke patients actually develop a UTI during their hospitalization. Those who are at risk are those with older age and more severe stroke symptoms. Regarding metabolic derangements, unfortunately, there is no threshold for uremia or hepatic insufficiency as far as liver function testing that correlates with uh, intracerebral disease. In the acute setting, an elevation in ammonia may be useful as an indicator for cerebral dysfunction with higher levels correlating with more severe intracerebral disease, and arterial ammonias greater than 150 or 200 may be sufficient enough to raise intracranial pressure and produce cerebral edema with depressed consciousness. For now, I would treat her mild acute kidney injury and possible urinary tract infection with a small fluid challenge and treat the bladder infection to see if she improves. Her alertness normalized after the second dose of intravenous antibiotics but she was more confused and sedated for physical therapy that afternoon. What are the next steps you would take? Because she has this waxing and waning mental status, two things come to mind. First, a drug intoxication or withdrawal state, and second, seizures. If she was receiving an opiate for her headache um, or other uh, sedating medications in the setting of a mild AKI, she could be retaining the narcotic. She's also at risk of withdrawal symptoms, especially for benzodiazepines or alcohol, at this two-day threshold. Her vital signs don't make sense for that, so I think that's a lot less likely here. Next, I would consider seizure activity. Acute seizures, meaning those within the first 72 hours of symptom onset, are actually pretty common in patients with intracerebral hemorrhage. 30% of all ICH patients develop seizures in the first several days of hospitalization, whereas this is only seen in about 6% of stroke patients. They're more common in the elderly and those with cortical or lobar hemorrhages but they still can occur in one in five patients with a subcortical ICH. The EEG confirmed right parietal focal slowing and intermittent spike and wave discharges originating from the right posterior quadrant. These resolved with the administration of levetiracetam, and the patient improved. The take-home points from today is that neurologic deterioration is common. 
One in three patients with ischemic stroke and nearly half of patients with intracerebral hemorrhage worsened during their hospitalization. It's nearly impossible to get by without doing a head CT in these patients, but it's always worthwhile to do a full neurologic assessment and diagnostic battery in these patients. After vital signs and basic labs are checked, consider urinalysis, chest x-ray, and blood cultures if there are vital sign abnormalities or the patient loses alertness. Consider EEG in the setting of a patient who's got waxing and waning consciousness or in the event of obtundation to rule out seizure activity. Be wary of medications, especially in the elderly where polypharmacy is common. And remember that even after all this workup is done, one-third of patients will have deterioration for unknown reasons. Thanks for listening to Brainwaves today. If you like what you just heard, you can find more related material on Twitter at Brainwaves Audio or contact us at bweditorialboard at gmail.com. Be sure to check out our iTunes archive for older episodes. This episode was produced by Jim Siegler. Music by Kevin McLeod. Join us next time for another edition of Brainwaves.